you would turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 119. And we're going to begin here by reading the first 11 verses. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. You have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. I shall give thanks to you with a brightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Well, Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the Bible, and maybe for this reason alone, it's not commonly chosen as the, the topic for a message. But apart from that, it has kind of an unusual literary structure. It's what's called an alphabetic acrostic. So there are 22 sections in this lengthy psalm, and each one of these sections corresponds to a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And in Hebrew, the first um, beginning, if you will, of each verse within that section begins with that same letter, that corresponding letter. So this presents some challenge to go through um, theologically because of the rigidity kind of of the poetic structure. But this, this is a glorious psalm because the entire psalm is about the Word of God. In fact, on my account of 176 verses, there are only five which do not directly reference Scripture. And we've gone through some of these already. In verse 1, you see the law of the Lord. Verse 2, his testimonies. Verse 3, his ways. Verse 4, your precepts. Verse 5, your statutes. Verse 6, your commandments. Verse 7, your righteous judgments. Verse 9, your word. And we didn't read it, but verse 20, your ordinances. So nine terms are used and variants of, variants of these terms are used by the psalmist over and over again in this psalm in reference to one and the same thing, and that is to Scripture, or for him specifically as a Jew, uh, referencing the Torah, or the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Of course, for us as Christians tonight, we have a much broader application as we consider this psalm in reference to the Holy Bible. Of these nine terms that we've just kind of gone through, the title that most frequently is used is the title, 
your word. So tonight we're going to talk about the great value of the word of God. Now it's important at the beginning to ask the question, what is the word of God in this psalm? And the first thing that has to be said is that the word of God is the word of God. That is, it is his word. Verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Verse 11, your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Verse 16, I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. Verse 17, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. So the word of God is not something that originates outside of himself. It's not something that he he subsumes or takes into himself. It's not something that's apart from him that he then condones and comes to own. The origin of the word of God is nothing other than God himself. It is his word. It is from his own mouth. In verse 13, the psalmist refers to all the ordinances of your mouth. In verse 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Verse 88, revive me according to your loving kindness so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. So the word of God is completely his. The second thing that has to be said about the word of God is that it is formal, that it is legal. And this is self-evident by the terms that are used. Like in verse 4, you have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. A precept is a decree, it's a tenet, it's a, a rule that regulates thought. In verse 8, um, you have uh, the term statute that is used. I shall keep your statutes, do not forsake me utterly. Verse 80, may my heart be blameless in your statutes. The term ordinances uh, is used over and over again. In verse 75, <clears throat> the term judgments uh, is used. O Lord, I, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous. So why do I make a point of this? That is, it's important to say that the word of God is not just a record that is given to us of how God happens to feel about things. The word of God is formal, it is fixed, uh, it is, it's declarative. <clears throat> and this is important to say today in an age where, unfortunately, broadly speaking, the authority of the word of God isn't even really questioned. And I mean that in the, in the, in the most negative sense possible. The word of God is not thought to be authoritative. And this is mostly, in my opinion, the result of what's called neo-orthodoxy, which says that, well, Jesus Christ is the word of God. Don't bother about what's written. You can't trust that. Just look to Jesus. And this sounds 
somewhat true on a very superficial level because we have to agree that Jesus Christ is the word of God, that he is sent from God, that he's the final word to, to man. But my question to those who hold this view would be, what exactly did Jesus Christ say? What exactly did he do? Who exactly was Jesus? What pattern did he set for us? And none of these questions can be answered apart from the written word of God. There are two passages in scripture which we don't have to turn to, but are important to note to see that Jesus Christ himself, the word of God, obviously upheld the authority of the written word of God. And the, the first passage that comes to mind is Matthew 4, uh, where the temptation of Jesus by the devil is recorded. And in that dialogue with Satan, you have Jesus, the Son of God, who does not evoke his own authority, but three times he says to his adversary, It is written. It is written. It is written. The word of God himself upholds the authority of the written word of God. The other passage is Luke 24, which is the post-resurrection appearance of Christ on the road to Emmaus. And in that passage, Christ criticizes these men who are with him for being slow to believe what the prophets had spoken. So you have the spoken word of God. And then he goes to great pains to explain to them the things about himself, it says, in all the scriptures. And it says that he opened their mind to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. So one of the very last things that Christ did before leaving this world was to point us to what is written. So in the Bible, we have a divine declaration. <clears throat> Back to Psalm 119 in verse 123, he refers to it as your righteous word. So the word of God is formal. It is, it's legal, if you will. The third thing I'll mention is that the word of God, <clears throat> the written word of God, is eternal and true. In verse 160, it says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. And again in verse 43, he refers to Scripture as the word of truth. I know I'm doing a lot of jumping here. In another verse, in verse 152, he says, Of old I have known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. So what we have in the written word of God is something of the mind of God recorded for us. Obviously, we don't know everything that God has uh, here on earth, but it's important to note that none of these things here uh, recorded for us from God's mouth has ever been new to God. It is eternal in its substance. It's eternal and true. So the word of God is first of God. It's from him. 
it's, it's uh, formal. It can't be modified. It can't be redacted. It's eternal and true. But the fourth thing that we say about the word of God, and maybe the most amazing thing to us in light of what we've just gone through, is that the word of God is personally disclosed. It's personally disclosed. And in Psalm 119, verse 49, we see that it says, Remember the word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. So the word of God is personally revealed to his people, to his servant. Now the effects of the word of God personally revealed are very extensive, but I just want to go through a few few of these effects. And the first thing is that when God takes what is his and gives it to someone, they take possession of it. They always take possession of it. That is the first point, that possession occurs when the word of God is given. It's not just that God extends something for a person to look at. When God reveals it, when God gives it, that person takes possession of it. And in verse 56, it says, this has become mine. And that's quite an incredible thing. The word of God from the mouth of God has become his. This has become mine that I observe your precepts. So the Christian possesses the word. And in a real way, the word possesses the Christian in the sense that it affects him. It affects the way that he thinks, the way that he lives, uh, the course of his life. The second effect and it flows from possession, is that there is affection for the word of God. And you see that in the same verse 56, this has become mine, that I observe your precepts. There is an inclination given to the Christian by God to obey uh, the things of the word because the word becomes the Christian's treasure. In verse 11, your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. It doesn't say your word I have I've I've beat into my heart, I've rammed it in there because I know I might get into trouble if it's not there. No, it's it's something special that is placed there. It's a treasure. There there is an esteem, a great esteem for the word of God <clears throat> that the Christian has, an esteem and hunger for the word of God. And I thought we'd read a couple verses here, starting at verse 127. 127. Therefore, I love your commandments. Above gold, yes, above fine gold. Therefore, I esteem right all your precepts concerning everything. I hate every false way. So you see the affection there. It's shifted from what is false to what is true, from what is worthless to what is uh, valuable. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul observes them. So his motivation for obeying the word of God is that he 
sees the wonder, the value of the commandments, of the testimonies of God themselves. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul observes them. The unfolding of your word, words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. So there's a deep uh, hunger, a deep desire for the word of God that comes when the word of God is personally revealed. There's a hatred of what is false. Um, We don't have time to go into it really in detail, but there's a disregard for for worldliness, uh, for worldly men specifically that also comes up in this psalm. The word of God becomes a source of delight. And and that's something that the the world cannot uh, see. That the word of God is actually pleasurable. The word is actually pleasurable to the Christian. So in verse 24, your testimonies also are my delight. They are my counselors. That's verse 24. Verse 47, I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. Verse 77, your law is my delight. And there are many other verses like this in this psalm. So when the word of God is given to the Christian, it always comes with a deep affection for the word of God. Another thing that comes with the word is peace. And, of course, that's very important. Those who love your law have great peace. Verse 165. So possession, affection, peace. Another thing is perseverance. Um, Those who love your law have great peace, and nothing causes them to stumble. The word is the Christian's anchor. And this is a very encouraging point to make, and so I'm going to go through a few verses on this topic of perseverance. So verse 55 I'm sorry, verse 51. The arrogant utterly deride me, yet I do not turn aside from your law. So he's being assaulted, yet I do not turn aside from your law. You see, he's, he's bound to the word. Uh, verse uh, 86. All your commandments are faithful. They have persecuted me with a lie. He's talking about arrogant men that have persecuted him. And he cries out, help me. They almost destroyed me on earth. I mean, he's at the end here. But as for me, I did not forsake your precepts. So, again, he's bound. Revive me according to your loving kindness so that I may keep a testimony of your mouth. Uh, Verse uh, 101 I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. So the motivation to turn away from sin is I, I really want to obey this word in, 
in which I delight so much, the, 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 the commandments that I love so much. Uh, I want to turn away from evil, specifically that I may obey this word. Incredible. I have not turned aside from your ordinances, for you yourself have taught me. So <clears throat> God is teaching uh, him his word, and because of that, he's persevering and, and he's victorious. Uh, verse 109, my life is continually in my hand. <clears throat> so he's sensing his own weakness here. Yet I do not forget your law. See, So his mind is always going back to the word, yes, I'm being afflicted, but as for me, yet, back to the word. Um, and then one other one here, verse uh, 141. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Men hate me, but I don't forget your word to your servant. So, so perseverance. So, the psalmist is weathering the storm over and over again through, through this psalm. And as he's encountering these challenges, he is clinging to the written word of God. He's not hoping in some thought or some feeling or something he thinks that God maybe showed him specifically. He is clinging to something that has been objectively given in his word. <clears throat> I think that's very helpful. So it seems obvious to say <clears throat> that the Christian is dependent on scripture. Um, but one thing that should never be thought is that scripture limits the Christian in some way. Again, that's, that's a very worldly idea. <clears throat> in fact, it does the very opposite. And the next effect that I want to point out of the word of God personally revealed is that it brings liberty. The Christian is always the most free when he is constrained by the word. And we can look at... Uh, Verse 44 and 45. So I will keep your law continually forever and ever. So that is his declaration to God. I am going to obey you as concerns me. I'm going to obey you forever and ever. And as he is constrained as he's fixed on this narrow path, obeying the word of God, which means he is not obeying all these other words, what does it say? And I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. So I think ultimately what, what this is dealing with is a clear conscience. He knows that he's doing what's right. Um, he knows that he's doing what's right. So the Christian has liberty as he's obeying the Lord. <clears throat> well, the last thing I want to point out as an effect of the word of God given specifically to the Christian is that there's confidence in prayer. See, this entire psalm is a prayer. And throughout this psalm, he is invoking the word of God to God. Because he knows that 
the word of God is from God's own mouth to him. He knows that the word is unchanging and true. And he confidently prays the word of God to God because he knows that God honors his own words. And I'll just point out a few verses. You'll, you'll see right away at the pattern. Verse 25, My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. See, it's an appeal to the written word. Verse 28, My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. Verse 41, May your loving kindness also come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. Verse 58, I sought your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your word. Verse 107, I am exceedingly afflicted. Revive me according to your word. 116, sustain me according to your word that I may live. Verse 154, plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. Verse 169 and 170, let my cry come before you, O Lord, Give me understanding according to your word. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. Well, what are some conclusions we can make in light of all we've gone through to see just how valuable Scripture is to us? Well, the first conclusion we have to make coming from things on the opposite, is that it is very unlikely that you will ever really love God and hate evil apart from a sincere love for the Bible. It is very unlikely that you will ever truly seek God without diligently reading the Bible. It makes sense. It is very unlikely that you will ever know peace, perseverance in obeying God, a clear conscience, or unhindered communion with God in prayer, apart from seeking God diligently in Scripture. J.C. Ryle puts it pretty bluntly. I can't help but quote him. He says, Knowledge of the Bible, in short, is the one knowledge that is needful. A man may get to heaven without money, learning, health, or friends. But without Bible knowledge, he'll never get there at all. A man may have the mightiest of minds and a memory stored with all that mighty mind can grasp. And yet, If he does not know the things of the Bible, he will make shipwreck of his soul forever. Woe, woe, woe 
to the man who dies in ignorance of the Bible. Show me a person who despises Bible reading or thinks little of Bible preaching, and I hold it to be a certain fact that he is not yet born again. Tell me what the Bible is to a man, and I will generally tell you what he is. This is the purse to try. This is the barometer to look at. If we would know the state of the heart, I believe it to be a single evidence of the Spirit's presence when the Bible is really precious to a man's soul. Verse 20 of this psalm says, My soul is crushed after longing with longing after your ordinances at all times. May the Lord impress upon us the infinite value of the mind of God revealed to us in Scripture and uh, help us to see the impossibility of knowing him and drawing near to him apart from the written word of God. Um, Jesus said in John 15, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Well, amen.